Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. Uh, so in this podcast that you're about to hear, uh, I just want to make one quick note before we get started, uh, which is that we actually recorded this a couple weeks ago, and the idea was actually to put it out right after we had recorded it. So we reference events that we say happened uh, just last week, when actually those are now uh, three weeks ago. Um, the, we had a little problem with the service that we use to record the podcast, which is uh, usually pretty great at some sort of spectacular failure um, starting approximately a minute after we finished recording the podcast. And it sort of has taken them a couple of weeks to get things back together. And we were able to more or less rescue this podcast. And I thought it was a good discussion, even though, you know, we had originally meant for it to be released in a little bit more timely fashion. I think it's still an interesting discussion and still worth having. Uh, and so that's that. And so that's why uh, while we refer to things that just happened, they actually happened a few weeks ago. Uh, so just wanted to explain that, and that's about it. And from here, we'll go on to the podcast. Thanks. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the plates and pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Thanks again to everyone who's been listening and who have been uh, sending in feedback. In fact, special thanks to the person who sent in feedback recently uh, who was suggesting that they felt pressured to do so by these messages that I include at the beginning of our podcast. Uh, we really do appreciate all of the feedback and also all of the reviews and ratings that people leave, uh, as well as when you tell other people about the podcast, uh, for example, on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, please keep that up. Now, for this week's podcast, I think uh, this discussion may be a little bit different than our usual ones. I'm, well, we'll see. Um, if you happen to follow Copyright News last week, you may have heard the story about how a site called FactBase from the Washington, D.C. company Fact Squared had posted transcripts and audio of every Donald Trump interview on the Howard Stern show going back, I think, almost 20 years or so. Um, this certainly got some attention because those interviews had not really been available. There had been some reporting on them, but nobody had all of the many, many uh, so in some cases, very, very long interviews. Um, but the database quickly got taken down uh, after SiriusXM sent takedown notices to Factbase and also to YouTube and SoundCloud, where some of the audio had been posted. Now, much of the discussion about all of this revolved around whether or not the postings were covered by fair use. And that's an interesting discussion in its own right. Uh, as an aside, I think it's it was pretty clearly fair use. Uh, but uh, lawyer Kathy Gellis had raised another issue with me in a separate discussion about whether the interviews are even copyrightable in the first place. And so we were discussing this back and forth uh, for a while online, and I finally suggested that rather than just having it be the two of us in the discussion, we should discuss it on the podcast because it's actually kind of an interesting discussion. And some of this gets back to questions around who gets the copyright in the broadcast of live news or live sports? 
prior to 1976, many people believed that there was no copyright in sort of broadcast news or broadcast sports. Uh, they weren't creative works in the traditional sense and that there was no script that was written out. But under the 1976 Copyright Act, Congress clarified that the act of broadcasting, if there was a simultaneous recording, would count as fixation for the purpose of copyright. And the key case on this matter is called the uh, NBA versus Motorola. In that case, Motorola was offering uh, a pager service that could send sports scores and summaries to fans, and the NBA argued that it violated a bunch of its rights, including hot news, um, and, well, it, it gets very involved how, how then basically copyright preempted that, but the, the important part was that the ruling made a couple of key points. And the first was that the broadcast of live events does, in fact, get a copyright in that broadcast, but not necessarily in the underlying elements. Indeed, the Second Circuit explicitly says that there's no copyright in the underlying game, but there is one in the broadcast. Now, this distinction can be kind of subtle and potentially confusing. <laughs> uh, similarly, the court found that there's no copyright in the facts of the underlying game. So things like the score of the game are certainly not protected by copyright. So to me, at least, there's little question that the wider broadcast here that we're discussing about the, the interviews uh, was protected by copyright, though I'm not entirely convinced that that would also mean that the transcripts are covered by that copyright, even though SiriusXM certainly claimed as much in their takedown notice. So anyway, to try and hash out this discussion further, I asked Kathy Gellis to come on the podcast and discuss why she thinks that before we even get to the fair use analysis, uh, which we can also discuss, we should look at the question of whether or not the copyright is even there in the first place. So, Kathy, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, this is this is a law school exam question. This is it, <laughs> it, it could be the final exam in any copyright class where um, you have a situation. Now you have to issue spot and tear it apart. And um, one of the things they teach in law school that non-lawyers get very upset about is that sometimes the answer is maybe. Um, <laughs> because I'm a lawyer, I'm going to say it is probably maybe. But the fact that it's even something where there's there's reason to doubt that the copyright answer is a clear one, that's a significant thing unto itself. And we can talk about that. But, um, but in terms of some of the facts for maybe, um, there is... Um, the core bit in copyright is you have to have an original work of authorship fixed in a tangible medium. If you haven't jumped over those criteria, it doesn't matter what else you've got going on. Those are the first things that have to be satisfied. So mm -hmm. authorship is key, and it's key in a couple of ways um, for this analysis, because some of it is who is the author, but even more primarily is where is the authorship? Where is the iota of, create, of creativity which is necessary in order for something to be eligible for copyright in the first place? Right. But, but in, in, I mean, for, you know, again, for sort of sporting events and news events, um, you know, it's sort of, you know, the, the, it's sort of considered that, that just the, the broadcasting of them gives you the copyright in that broadcast, right? I mean, it can, although, um, I mean, even when they talk about covering a sporting event, um, they talk about the creativity that may be involved with covering the sporting event. So you've got 
I don't know why soccer is popping into my head. We're Americans here, so why are we thinking about soccer? But <laughs> That's fine. Head, you've got a soccer field and you've got a camera. Let's just put it on all four sides of the soccer field. Now you've got a technical director who's going to decide which camera we should cut to depending on how the play is unfolding. So that decision about which camera you're going to unfold, um, that's arguably a creative decision. That seemed to be one that Congress was willing to accept was a creative decision. Um, when your fixation involves some creativity, that would be your original work of authorship, which would qualify you for, for a copyright. But simply recording something where we've just turned on the microphone and we're letting it run, is that is there enough creativity in there for copyright to for it to be a copyrightable event? Right. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so, 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 like, I, 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 I get the sort of you know law school exam nature of this, but, but part of me wonders if, if, if anyone, if anyone would legitimately make that argument. I mean, certainly you'd find somebody who could make that argument in court, but, but I, I couldn't see a judge accepting that as valid, just because I think we sort of work under the assumption that there must be a copyright there, and, and you can argue, and, and I might agree with you that maybe we shouldn't work under that assumption, but I, I think that it's sort of so well established um, that, that I, 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 you know, in, in the same sense, you know, to some extent, this, this even goes back to like, the question of like, why, do, why does a photograph get copyright, right? I mean, that's sort of a, a related sort of connected issue, which is like some people have argued that a photograph, unlike like a painting, for example, shouldn't necessarily get copyright because all you're doing is just taking a picture of reality. You know, what, what the photograph is, is just the, the underlying facts of what you pointed the camera at. And we sort of, you know, have, have historically tap danced around that and come to the conclusion that because the photographer is sort of setting up the picture and maybe, you know, deciding the angle and, and, the, and the lighting and the framing, therefore that gets the copyright. And so you're sort of trying to make that same argument about an audio recording of an interview that because there's no there's no significant when if it's just two people on a microphone or three people or however many people on a microphone because there's no additional sort of framing or work or or effort that gets into it that therefore there is no copyright or there might not be a copyright well more than effort that there's no creativity in the decision I, okay. um, and sure. so if we think about the photography thing um i mean in terms of your general thesis of would no, would any court accept. Um, I mean, we see stuff come up where it's not necessarily clearly resolved, but in photography, was it something where it was point and shoot? Was it something where, what if you are the person who stages the, where the camera should be, the lighting, and puts yourself in the picture and gets somebody else to press the button? Right. What if you set a clock to press the button? What if you give the camera to a monkey? You made the creative choice to give the camera to a monkey, <laughs> and the monkey took the picture. Um, I mean, I think uh, gosh, we're, the, I, I win for putting the monkey in ten minutes <laughs> into this podcast. But yeah. the, one of the reasons why it was it was there was even room for dispute is because what the photographer had been arguing was that he made a and a creative decision to say, I want to take a photograph and my will to make this photograph is to give the monkey a photo and see what he does. With it. Um, that may be too attenuated, but in that situation, it was too attenuated. But 
but arguably there, there was still some, there, he was arguing that he had at least made the creative choice to give the camera to the monkey. If you just press record, are you even making a creative choice equivalent to giving the camera to a monkey to see what happens? Right, right. So that's, that's interesting. Um, I, I, I'm still like, I'm still, I don't know. <laughs> you may have stumped me. I, I, I still think I would be surprised if, if a court would actually buy that argument, frankly. Well, one um, of the things if we were, if we were to skip ahead a little bit and we can okay. circle back to this, but one of the things is what happened with Trump Stern and you would, you mentioned something in passing about the assumptions. Um, we have Trump Stern where this, the, the term is procedural posture, which is basically where legally is this problem currently residing, what's gone on. And what's gone on is that a takedown notice was sent under the DMCA, which was right. easy. Um, all they had to do is declare, hey, we've got a copyright in it. And whether the takedown notices were reviewed or not reviewed, because we know that platforms don't always get to see them, they don't always get to check them. And then even if they do check them, um, they may make very conservative calls where if somebody says, hi, I have a copyright, and it's even potentially likely that they do, they may just hand it over whether that copyright is truly in existence or theirs or anything like that. So they sent the DMCA notice and it's down. And if there's no putback, it is going to stay down and this archive is going to be lost. Um, that's a problem because we never tested the question and there's not there's no opportunity to test the question. Right. But if, for instance, one of the interesting things about that case was it sounds like the, um, the, the site that had posted it, um, Fastbase, I guess, was going to um, potentially self-host. If they self-hosted it, in one sense, that's worse for them because there's no DMCA interface to potentially make this thing go away. I mean, it made the content go away, but it's also not entirely likely they'll be sued. But if right. it were self-hosted, there's no opportunity for the censorship. The only way that censorship happens is if an actual lawsuit is brought. And then well, basically... Yeah, yeah. Sirius XM has to get all the ducks in the row that their copyright argument has to be able to, to meet uh, the standard for a pleading and potentially prevail. I mean, otherwise the site could fold and settle and it goes away. But um, but they even Sirius would be Sirius risk very little by sending a takedown notice. They risk a lot more if they actually have to put their complaint in the form of a complaint. Sure, but I mean, even if they, even if Factbase self-hosted, I wouldn't be surprised if they just sent a a cease and desist letter, which was basically the same takedown notice, but you know, just a cease and desist instead of following the you know, the the designations of the DMCA, and effectively you get the same thing, which is like, can you scare the company enough and say basically if you don't take this down, you're going to face a lawsuit, or you know, you're you're potentially liable. Right. So I, I don't want to be in the position of encouraging actual lawsuits to be filed <laughs> because that is chilling in its own way. But there is, um, you know, you have to put your money with your where your mouth is if you're going to actually file a whole lawsuit. Um, a, it's a lot more money yeah. to file a whole lawsuit anyway, because it costs a lot more money to draft a complaint and you put yourself potentially at risk for fees or sanctions or whatever if it's too terrible. Um, I mean, this would probably not be sanctionable, but um but that's a bigger deal. And 
putting it as a lawsuit means that if it actually is adjudicated, we get to figure this out. So basically, if if Sirius had filed a lawsuit and the site was in a position to defend the lawsuit, um, they're going to defend. I mean, one some of this pushback on whether it's copyrightable is essentially what what the site would push back as its defense. Um, I think they would um, if they thought they had the right on their side. Um, they're going to throw these arguments out, and it's going to be more than just fair use arguments. It's going to be you don't get to get in the door. You don't get to right. claim that we're infringing on a copyright if you don't actually have the copyright. You need to demonstrate that what you are claiming that we infringed your rights on is something that has a copyright, and to the extent that it is copyrightable, that it is also a copyright that belongs to you. Right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that would be really interesting. Now, what do you think of the, the argument that I made in the, the intro, which was effectively that um, I think that argument is is less strong with the audio and um, but much stronger with the transcripts. So do you think that, you know, if they just posted the transcripts instead of also posting the audio, that they would have a stronger argument that that there's no that Sirius XM doesn't hold any copyright into the transcripts? I mean, probably in terms of I would still potentially argue that. Um, you know, even the audio and the copyright is questionable. Sure. But to the extent that starts to look more like a broadcast, yeah, because this was, they weren't copying the broadcast, they were copying elements contained within the broadcast, and I think there's a stronger analogy, although it's still something to discuss because I can see some counter-arguments to it, but to say that these underlying elements of the words that Trump spoke, um, there's an inquiry about whether that is copyrightable at all, and to the extent that it is, who would own it? Right. Um, so in that sense, just the words themselves, you're not implicating the broadcast, that you're not copying a broadcast, but I think the cease and desist letter is essentially floating the argument that you have converted the broadcast, you've just format shifted the broadcast into the words. They would probably argue that you're still infringing on that basis. But sure. I think the inquiry now looks a little bit more at the underlying substance of what was being broadcasted. And then there's a perfectly reasonable copyright inquiry to have around that. Right, right. So so, so, so they could argue that, that basically the transcript, if they could argue that, the, that if the broadcast is, a, a, is covered by copyright, then the, the transcript is just a derivative work. And therefore, you know, they have rights over derivative works to some extent. Um, I think they're trying to argue that, but I mean, one of the things is I don't think the cease and desist letter was very specific. <laughs> no. They kind of are <laughs> skipping ahead to, you know, our show, you're using bits of our show and the fact that it was our show and you're using bits of our show means that we have a copy, we win just because copyright and end of story. Right. Um, one of the reasons I'm kind of pushing for, if you had right. to sort of put this in a pleading what would you argue? And so we're sort of doing their job a little bit for them, but we're also doing the side of defense to see what the defense argue instead. Right, right, right. But right. So, but if they were to actually file the lawsuit, then they would have to make the argument that they actually hold a valid copyright, and 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 there may be an argument, you know, against that, or at least it would be an interesting one to follow. Um, you know. I mean, I think one of the things they would argue is that, um, and I think. I don't know if it's a winning argument, but it's a colorable argument, is that Trump was there speaking, and there's more to be said about Trump and there and speaking, but that 
they would argue that the whole affair was itself a creative endeavor being created by Howard Stern, the interviewer, by mm-hmm. virtue of his choice of the question, where he was nudging and cajoling and shaping the course of the conversation and that he brought the show in and of itself. He would start to argue that the show looks more like maybe a dramatic work, which is eligible for copyright, than a sporting event, which is not. Um, and that would be part of his argument. Um, I think it's colorable, but I don't think it's necessarily right. a clearly winning one. Um, he's not controlling the words that come out of Trump's mouth. Um, and this is not entirely a creative work. This is basically things that Trump is saying. And now they start to have a very factual nature about what are the things that Trump is saying. Um, and so ultimately now we're looking at it where is this starting to look like facts that they are claiming copyright on? Things that Trump has said are potentially factual because they are the things he said. Um, of course, to that, then they might argue that, well, it's a compilation of right. facts where we have done some uh, selectivity to try to get him to say certain things on a selective basis. And therefore, the whole show is really a compilation where um, and compilations are generally eligible for copyright if they've got enough originality. Right. And, and and I think there would be a lot of pushback, you know, if you argue that what he said is factual because it's it's what he said, that raises a whole bunch of other issues about, you know, any kind of things that, that people say about, you know, you could then see people trying to make the argument that like, well, this recording of a song is factual because it's the recording of the song, right? <laughs> you know, it, it, I, I could see where, where there's kind of a slippery slope and sort of trying to argue that, that his words were factual and therefore not covered by copyright under that. I think it's okay to slip down the slope a little bit because <laughs> one of the things that I think we are suffering from is a lot of assumptions that if things have a feather is quacking like a duck. And I don't think that's necessarily, we could have chickens, pigeons, all sorts of other creatures, and they may not actually be quacking like a duck. So I think sometimes we take the feather and presume too much. Okay. Um, Because we do make analogies, and a lot of this analysis is how do we make the analogies? Um, Can we make them accurately relevant to text that's in the statute or text that's come out of actual decisions? And when we can't find a direct analog, how do we best analogize? And so what we're kicking around is some of the other analogies. Um, in terms of your, your hypo of what if it's, um, what if it's a, you know, a song that we've just recorded and we're recording the fact of the song. Well, the song itself is individually eligible for copyright. Um, okay. It's an original work of authorship that stands on its own. And I mean, I think the argument about whether I've just made the literal copy offends the copyright I don't think you get very far, but that's not exactly where the infringement was. The infringement was, it was a freaking copy of the song, there, which was directly a copyrightable work standing on its own. Um, right. If you start to say, well, what about Trump? What about the things that Trump said? Are the things that Trump concocted and put together eligible for copyright? I mean, that's a fair place for the analysis to go to next. Um I don't think the answer is clearly yes, but even so, that would potentially be Trump's copyright unless he had some paperwork that gave it to, that assigned it to 
Howard Stern and Sirius. Right. Well, there's there was there was a case last year that that we had written about on Tech Dirt about um, this woman who was trying to put together a compilation of. Uh, and I haven't looked at this in a while, so forgive me if I get some of the, the details wrong. But she was trying to; she was an academic, and she was putting, and she was studying, of all things, Gene Kelly. And she was trying to put together like a compilation of Gene Kelly interviews. And Gene Kelly's widow sued her, um, claiming that all of the that Gene Kelly held the copyright in every interview that he had done. And I found that to be a little questionable, even though that would support your argument to some extent. But but I don't. I don't know if I buy that argument either, that, that the person being interviewed gets a copyright. They haven't done any of the fixing, um, you know, de depending on the situation, certainly. But uh, they don't um, have to do the so fixing I'm not sure that that applies either. They don't have to do the fixing. They have to do the, the fixation can happen under the authorization of somebody else. So basically, if you're yeah. an interviewee and you show up and say, I'm willing to be interviewed for you to be, for, and for you to record this interview, um, they would say that, yes, it's been... What they have said is not ephemeral because it's not just being said and spoken, but that fixation is being done on their authorization, and that might be enough to essentially qualify for the copyright that way. Um, but... I think it's sound from the perspective of we would potentially own it as opposed to anyone else own it, um, but that's some interesting litigation. But whether it is itself still ownable, um, I think is a different question because are you actually in the utterances you're saying as part of this interview truly creating a, an original work of authorship? Um, I don't think I, people could argue it either way, um, and that's fine. But I don't think it's so clearly arguable only in one direction or the other. Hmm. Or certainly not that what your utterance is saying necessarily would qualify. But um, but to the extent that there's a scintilla of creativity that. You know, Trump popped up in his interview. That would be potentially his. Right. Um, well, I mean, but it, I mean, if you go back to like the the NBA versus Motorola ruling, like they're pretty clear that um, you know it shouldn't be that the individual players, for example, get you know uh, part of the copyright because they were part of the performers. So, so they actually say that that's not the case. Mainly, the argument being that it would it would you know, just create all sorts of problems. It doesn't, the analysis doesn't really necessarily get much more beyond that. Um, I'm sorry. Well, I think you mentioned earlier when we were discussing this about you brought up the Garcia problem. Yeah. Of, um, you know, to what extent can an individual contributor to a greater whole claim copyright in their contribution? And there are, there are some similarities. Um, but again, you know, what is actually being copied here? What's being copied here is what Trump said. Um, it sounds like from the story they've stripped down um, and really focused on what he said, where they've gotten rid of the other pieces of the recording. And they've gotten, I don't think they have much of Stern's voice. I don't think they have much of Stern in general. They just have, and they're is focusing that, on that... the words that Trump said. Oh, really? That I didn't, actually, I didn't know that. I, I thought that they had the entire segment of the interview, including the intersections with, with, with Stern and, and some of his co-hosts. And I, well, I thought I had seen that, but, but then again, could be right know. and I could be wrong. Um, my perception was that, um, but these are, you know, we're kicking it around academically and that obviously would be a yeah. factor that, that matters. Um, but I, my understanding is that they had extracted for the things he said because they were interested in it, but with a possible thing, because I know there was some discussion about, oh gosh, I don't even want to repeat it. Um, 
what how he had described his daughter and they noted that the rather I'm sorry let's just say it the rather sexualized <laughs> way he referred to his daughter um, he's been quoted as having said it himself and it turned out it was actually Stern who said it and Trump who agreed that that was a fair characterization which creates its own issues but right. if that's true then I may I may be speaking out of turn it may include bits of Howard Stern um, but then again I mean now it's a looking a little bit more like if you've got a copyright now you're in a fair use analysis because is that you know, did we need that bit of Howard Stern in order to be able to use, you know, make sense out of what Trump said? But I, it's if it's if it's not a substantial portion of the broadcast and it's just bits and pieces, bits and pieces in and of itself may not be enough to qualify for as an original work of authorship because it's just bits and pieces and we just can't find enough originality. Right, right. So I found I, I, I as. As you were talking, I, I sort of found the part in the NBA um, versus Motorola case that sort of discusses this, um, and and I'll, I'll just sort of read some of it. But um, uh, you know, it basically says that um, that athletic events, so not the broadcast, but the underlying athletic event, is not copyrightable. Um, it quotes Nimmer, and then. Uh, it says, where is it? The the NBA relied in part on a footnote in this case, Baltimore Orioles versus Major League Baseball Players Association, which stated that the players' performance contained the modest creativity required for copyrightability. However, the court went on to state, moreover, even if the players' performance were not sufficiently creative, the players agreed that the cameraman and the director contribute creative labor to the telecasts. And this last sentence indicates that the court was considering the copyrightability of telecasts and not the underlying games, which obviously can be played without cameras. Um, so maybe that doesn't help the, the, us in this argument. <laughs> I, I thought... I mean, one. I think at some point policy arguments also show up because there is the question of do we need to allow something to be copyrighted in order to incentivize its continued development and existence? And I think one of the things in some of the sporting game analysis is no, they're still going to play games with each other, in which case when we start tripping over each other and realizing, oh, well, if this is copyrightable, um, what does that mean? Because it's copyrightable. You have an exclusive right and can exclude other people. That's a pretty high cost. So, I mean, one of the reasons that the statute actually articulates certain types of works that are copyrightable is partly because when you have a, a, a land grab for everything that could possibly be its mine, um, now you have the Garcia, Google versus Garcia problem where you would break Hollywood <laughs> if all the actors and actresses could show up and say, I have right. a copyright in this. It's There's a certain point where you've eaten the whole, everything you were trying to incentivize, now you've actually just ground creativity to a halt. And so that's also one of the reasons why, you know, to your general question of would a court be inclined to ever buy these arguments, the answer is yes, because there's a huge policy problem when you start throwing around copyright too expansively. You start to undo the whole purpose of why the statute was there and including bits that are in the statutory in, in the statutory record and in the statute itself, there's all sorts of limiting language. And if you cruise past the limiting language too quickly, you start to undo things and cause policy imbalances that Congress never intended. Yeah. No, it definitely it definitely becomes tricky. And I, I think 
I think that's why it is an interesting sort of law school exam question. So um, if you're listening to this and you're a law school professor <laughs> teaching copyright, feel free <laughs> to, to use. I mean, and I'm, I'm open to, I don't think this is, I could be wrong. I could be missing something. There could be a great case on point I am not aware of. But I think the general point of, you know, we tend to presume too much about when we jump to fair use, we are presuming there's a copyright. And as the as the saying goes, fair use is the right to hire a lawyer. And that's a pretty expensive thing. And I think there's a lot of reason from a policy standpoint, um, and even as just armchair lawyers and armchair um, analysts on these things to want to push back on the question of you claim it's yours, but you need to that's something we shouldn't presume. There should be a, a burden of proof on the people who claim copy that they have a copyright and something to show that, especially when it's not something that's clearly articulated in the statute, that they do in fact have one. And this is not something we should just presume they claimed it. So therefore it's theirs. I think there's a lot of harm that flows from it. Yeah, I, I think, I think that, um, uh, I, I mean, the fair use question on its own right is is kind of interesting, and, there, and there's some potentially really interesting um, things to discuss there, and that's that's probably its own law school exam in its in its own right. Um, but but I, I find it really interesting to to even take a step back and and to to do this thought exercise of of to go through whether or not there's even a legitimate copyright there in the, in the first place, and and so um, it's it's. It's yeah. it's a good point and it's a good it's a good thing to to think about. So, um I don't know, Kathy, if you have any final word on it. I think other than that, like I'm 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 thought out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just gave my nice I'm a lawyer disclaimer and yes there could be other things and this could turn on other facts we don't know or or anything like that. But I I agree with you. This was a this, it's an important thought exercise not only to do on this particular instance, but I think it's a thought exercise Every time we see a story, before we jump to, well, is this fair use? I think we need to stop and ask the question of, is there a copyright at all? And if there is, in what? And who owns it? Those questions need to be answered before you jump to the fair use analysis. And we need to make claimants actually start to prove those points um, a little more with a little more um, uh, effort than they necessarily have been putting in. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, th I think that... That that makes sense, um, but uh, I, I think I think we'll we'll close up shop for this podcast uh, <laughs> um, and and let people. Th we'll quit while we're ahead. Yes. Yes, <laughs> I think that's probably the, the, that makes sense. Yes. Um, but if you have any thoughts on this, uh, as listeners, uh, please let us know. Uh, you can certainly weigh in in the comments, or you can email us, or or, or let us know. But it's it's always an, it's sort of a really interesting question to kind of debate and, and think through and, and go through all of the, the possibilities. Um, but uh, Kathy, thanks so much for, for joining us. And uh, thanks to everyone who's been listening. And we'll be back uh, next week with something else. We'll see what. It... All right. Bye.